Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Daniel Wong, a second-year resident at the University of Chicago. Dan is from Torrance, California. He went to college at Stanford University and medical school at Brown University. His interests include hand surgery and cosmetic surgery. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jenna. I'd love to start with an overview of the training at your program. We have a six-year program. I would say our focus and sort of uh, what we specialize in is uh, microsurgery and reconstructive surgery. Though we do have specialists that sort of perform sort of all the surgeries, I would say our, our focus is largely on reconstruction. The big head honchos at UChicago specialize in like reconstructive microsurgery and breast reconstruction. That's namely like Dr. David Chang and Larry Gottlieb. They sort of lead the, the forefront on what we do at UChicago. In terms of the program itself, it's six years long. As an intern, you start with exposure to like a wider variety of specialties, and there is some general surgery exposure. And kind of as you progress through the years, you become more purely plastics. I would say as a four, that is when you really um, are doing plastics consistently. As you progress through years one through three, you start seeing like less and less of the outside rotations. So I can speak most cogently and most in detail about the intern year because that's what I've done so far. So the intern year is a mix of a lot of different specialties that you get to rotate on. And I kind of want to preface by saying I, I think we go through the plastics interview trail kind of looking at programs and judging them kind of based on how much plastics you get to do as an intern. And what I've come to realize after going through a year of intern training is that it's kind of a misled notion. I feel like we kind of speak pejoratively about programs that don't have that much plastic exposure as an intern and skew too much general surgery or too much as uh, an outside rotator. And I've really enjoyed the programs that I've gotten to expose myself to as an intern. So we go through a bunch of different rotations. We do emergency medicine, we do anesthesia, and then some general surgery rotations. We do vascular, transplant surgery, colorectal, kind of a wide range of different specialties through intern year. And in total, I did two months on plastics and a month of plastics night float. And then I also did a month of plastics at North Shore, which is our facility that in Evanston. I felt like I did get a good amount of plastics exposure as an intern while also getting this kind of basis in uh, general surgery and getting to learn these other skills that I feel like have really uh, bolstered my education. Do you know what the breakdown is over the next two years? Some small changes have been made to the schedule for the next couple years. One of the awesome things about our program, I think, is that we have a lot of faculty response to resident feedback. There have been sort of minor changes that were made based on feedback from the previous year's residents that have gone through second and third year. And so those minor changes have sort of been made in, our, um, in effect. So 
as a second year, I have uh, much more exposure to plastics with a couple other rotations. So we have a burn unit at U Chicago. So we also have a couple months on the burn ICU. We also rotate on orthopedics. And then we also do a month with ENT. And largely the rest of the year is primarily plastics. The third year, as it currently stands, we do a month as the vascular senior. And then um, it's also primarily like a plastics year with some, you know, other rotations sort of sprinkled in, but primarily plastics. And by the time you get to the fourth year, um, you're purely doing plastics. And I didn't mention this before, but we have an apprenticeship model, meaning that as a senior resident, you are assigned primarily to one attending or to two or three attendings. And you work with those attendings purely for one month and only follow their patients for a month. So you really get a good sense of how a single attending works and what their preferences are. And you get to really know somebody over the course of a month, which I think is a system that really benefits the relationship between a resident and an attending. And so it's kind of a month by month focus on whatever their particular interests are. Exactly. And you still get the team dynamic because, you know, we all come in in the mornings and then we kind of round as teams. The plastics intern sort of manages all the plastics patients on the floor, but just for the purposes of rounding as a group, uh, we have group rounding assignments. So you still get that team feel, which is something I really enjoyed even as a sub-I and as a medical student, I just really liked everyone sort of being together and then sort of splitting off into groups and then coming back together. And I just enjoyed that like family feel of group rounding. During the COVID time, we sort of changed our system temporarily, you know, when they were really prioritizing social distancing and it was at its most severe, we were really, you know, observing social distancing. And we still are, but we're starting to slowly ramp up with our caseloads and also with our original systems and structure. You mentioned, you know, your primary hospital and then you also mentioned North Shore. Could you just kind of go through some of the different sites? It's primarily just those two. So we have our main campus, which is in Hyde Park, University of Chicago. And then we have like a sort of satellite facility of North Shore Health System. It's in Evanston. Because of the distance between the two locations, it's recommended that residents have a car just because it's uh, quite a commute to get there. When you're on a month at North Shore, you're not going back to the hospital in Hyde Park. So uh, most of us probably live in the South Loop, and I would say um, the commute to North Shore is maybe 45 minutes. And though it is possible, like it's physically possible to get there via public transit because you'll be holding the pager and you could get called in the middle of the night for problems with the flap. It's highly recommended to have a car just to be able to get there with ease. How much of your training do you spend at the North Shore campus? So as an intern, you spend one month there. I think as a second year, you spend one to two months there. And then as you advance in your training, the time increases. And a lot of residents really, really enjoy it, primarily because it's a lot of elective surgeries and a lot of patients that just come in for outpatient surgeries and then breast surgeries. In terms of the types of cases that we see there, it's a little more reliable. 
we see less trauma there in general. And, you know, as you know, the University of Chicago sees a lot of trauma. I just came off a trauma rotation. It, it was the busiest month that we'd ever seen at UChicago this past July. And so I think it's kind of a nice change of pace at North Shore because the schedule is just a little more predictable and in general, I think, is a little lighter and more relaxed. And are there any independent residents or fellows at your program? There are no independent residents. We do have two micro fellows a year. I think one of the common questions by residents is like, oh, does having the micro fellow sort of take away from the resident experience or just having fellows in general? As an intern, I can't really speak for being a senior resident, but from what I've seen, like, they really only help us. It's been amazing having them because they teach us basic micro skills and only have our micro workshops, which is usually a few times a year. They are teaching us and they're very good teachers. And they also are there to help us with like the micro during, you know, flap cases. For me, I've only really seen benefits to having them. Our volume is high and we always can use the help. What is the research expectations like at UChicago? So in terms of research, there is an expectation that you be involved in at least one project a year. And our faculty do keep tabs on us. They survey us on just what our scholarly projects are and what we're working on, how many projects we're involved in. It's highly encouraged, you know, to do more than that, but they sort of just want to make sure that they see us consistently involved in research projects. I think within the first couple of years, there's also an expectation to do a QI project and it's, you know, anything of your choosing. So my plan for my QI project is to do something with the ED with like lack repairs because we get a lot of like consults for probably lack repairs that could be done by the ED, but there's often like a discrepancy in like knowledge about suture types and like how to approach certain lacerations and how to do layered closure. And I think if we kind of equip the ED with a little more knowledge about suture types and sort of how to approach lacerations that can benefit everybody. What kind of support is present when you're at the stage when you want to present your research to others? We get a resident education fund. It's $2,000 a year. This also does not include the loops that we get. So we get loops as interns from a benefactor. So we didn't you know, need to pay for them. In addition to that, there is a resident education fund that covers any sort of educational expense of your choosing. So if you want to buy some kind of equipment that you can demonstrably say affects your education, like you want to get a textbook, you want to buy a subscription to something, you want to get some kind of piece of equipment, or you want to purchase admission to a conference or something, that can all sort of go under the umbrella of the resident education fund. And then that you get every year, but it doesn't roll over. Everyone's sort of scrambling to spend everything by the end of the next year. And I didn't even get through what I was allotted. I just, you know, paid for step three and kind of all the needed expenses as an intern. But I had a co-resident who like bought Grab and Smith. And like, if you like the, the type of person that likes to have the actual textbooks on hand, you can definitely spend it on those, or you could spend it on, you know, going to conferences. So it's less of like a per conference you're accepted at, and more of like, there's just this pretty generous fund that if you are accepted to a conference, you can use the money from that to go. Right. And then I think if you get 
accepted for like a poster or something, the institution will also fund for you to be able to go to a conference and you won't have to use your vacation time. So really support the research and I know we haven't really gotten into the faculty yet, but um, Dr. Reed, who's our program director and Dr. Chang are super supportive and I've really felt very welcome and very encouraged in my endeavors both in and out of plastic surgery here. Are there any opportunities for electives more so in the later years? There definitely are. So our two graduating seniors both have used their elective time for different things. Their names are Maureen and Jesse. I believe Maureen did an ethics elective. I believe it's uh, about a month to six weeks that they get time off and um, you can spend it doing whatever you want. We've had residents, I think in the past one resident actually took an art class. There's one that went abroad to Europe to study and shadow gender affirmation surgeries. And so you do get some dedicated, uh, I think it's under the umbrella of like research slash elective time and you can really do whatever you want. And it's done as a chi- uh, under the chief year. So there is elective time there. And then kind of sprinkled throughout, I think if you kind of wish to augment the cosmetic portion of your training, the cosmetic portion, I would say, of the program is something that is still under development and our assistant program director, Dr. Garza, is sort of um, in the process of augmenting that. But um, I would say the cosmetic component of our program is something that's kind of under development. Do you currently have like a chief cosmetic clinic? Yeah, we do. We have a chief cosmetic clinic. Um, it's largely by It's largely by word of mouth, but it is kind of dependent on how driven you are as a resident to bring in patients and clients. Even in the earlier years, where would you say that you get most of your cosmetic experience? You get some at North Shore, but we have like seasonal injection workshops. We usually have companies and representatives actually coming into our hospital to lead us in different types of workshops. So I think the last we had because of COVID was back in the fall or um, early winter, and it was like fillers and, and Botox and stuff. Those are typically done seasonally. And then the next exposure to cosmetics is typically as a third year. And so kind of as you progress and you get more advanced in your career, you start to see more cosmetics. And it's largely kind of dictated by the residents, I think, too. If you want to see, you know, more exposure to cosmetics, that's something I think is largely resident-driven. And you mentioned a little bit about someone that you know, went on a whole global elective, but in general, what are the opportunities like for either shorter mission trip experiences or if there are any like longer experiences possible? I believe there is a one mission trip that is sort of our most consistent one. It's led by Dr. Sarah Dickey and it's done in South America. That one is usually done, I believe, during the fifth year. If you found an opportunity to go on a mission trip to like abroad or somewhere kind of within the U.S. and you wanted to go there for your elective, by all means, they would absolutely let you. So is there exposure to gender affirmation surgery at your program? Yeah, so I would say Dr. Gottlieb has been doing a lot of our transgender and gender affirmation surgery. 
And then Dr. Garza also, um, she is our chief of cosmetic surgery. She uh, does a lot of top surgeries. And so that's something that you definitely see here. It's an interest that I definitely had coming in. And it's something that I have gotten to see. Dr. Gottlieb has extensive experience in uh, reconstruction, both from like complex wounds to, to oncologic reconstruction. And his surgeries are just incredible. So getting to see him perform these like incredible reconstruction on some of the sickest patients in the hospital has definitely been like an eye-opening experience. And is moonlighting possible at your program? Moonlighting is not permitted at our program. Now I think we could transition. I know you've mentioned your PD and chair a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about the program leadership. Dr. Chang is our um, chairman. He is a microsurgeon. He specializes in lymphedema surgery as well. At the interview, I think he was actually one of the main draws for me, honestly. I have a background in art and studied oil painting in college and I think that was also one of the things that kind of drew me to plastic surgery. And I felt like at the interview, that was something he appreciated. And I think he has a respect for artistry. And I think I saw that immediately when I like went into his office, he has like art from all over the world in his office. And we kind of connected on that level at first. Something that I think he said that uh, stood out to me a lot was that I would still be able to practice art as a resident. And that was something that could be incorporated into my career as a resident. And that stuck out to me a lot, and I never forgot that. And it has been, you know, sort of held to be true. So I'm currently working on a research project with him. We're doing a visual atlas of plastic surgery, so we're doing illustrations together. And he sort of approached me and asked me, like, you know, what sort of equipment do you need to accomplish this project? And I had mentioned, like, oh, it would be really nice to have, like, a the screen tablets with the stylus that you can draw, you know, directly on the screen. You know, he was nice enough to supply one. So I feel like he really supports residents in things that are maybe not even adjacent to medicine, but if you have interests that are outside of medicine, this program, I think, really understands that and encourages you to be a person and not just, you know, a surgical resident. Dr. Um, Russell Reed is our program director. He is one of the nicest people in the world. He's like always texting us and asking how we're doing and checking in with us. He will often surprise us with little like wellness gifts like during flu season. He'll like bring um, like emergency to our workroom and like um, little like health gummies and stuff. And he's a huge advocate for us. So if we have, you know, any sort of issues, he was a really helpful advocate for us during the COVID period. If we had any concerns about like being exposed or just the concerns about like maybe the program in general, we could, we always feel comfortable talking to him. And then another thing I wanted to mention is that Dr. Chang's wife actually made us all masks by hand. And um, so we all got COVID masks in the very beginning of the pandemic, which is also very nice. So that is to say that I I think our leadership really supports us as residents and we feel very comfortable uh, voicing if, you know, we ever feel uncomfortable about anything. And, you know, if we need help, we always feel like there's an ear that can be lent. Do you have any specific examples of times when you or another resident brought up an issue to the leadership and how they responded? 
we generally like have the interns kind of come in a few days early before their official start of their intern year to learn the ropes and everything. Our intern was starting on plastics and was still in the process of moving in. And so she was sort of scheduled to be here for the entire day, but was like concerned about like having to move all her stuff because she hadn't moved yet. And so, you know, we just reached out to Dr. Reed and asked him if she could have like a couple of days just to like get all our stuff moved. And then he kind of permitted her to do that, even though she was already scheduled to be working for like full days. So it's at that level of like, I think, familiarity and just like friendliness that we have with our program director that allows us to just like reach out about like even the smallest things like we really feel like we can ask about. They support us a lot academically as well, like preparing for the in-service. We get a lot of like feedback on our practice in-service exam. So we take a practice in-service about halfway through the year. I think usually in like November, we do weekly in-service reviews and then we have our practice in-service that we take in November and it's, you know, one of the old in-service tests. We all take it together and, and then we review it. And then that sort of helps us prepare for the actual in-service. And then we go over the actual exam. Like we have a personalized meeting with Dr. Reed and he like goes over the test with us. So it's, it's incredible the amount of support we get. Now, can you tell me a bit about the relationships amongst the residents? I mean, it sounds super cliche. Like everyone's like, we're a family. We get along so well. But it really is like, you feel like they're like your siblings. And one of the parts of surgery culture that's really inspiring to me is that everyone's always helping each other. If there is a case that's going late, like everyone is on like on deck, trying to help, trying to close, trying to stay late so that like we all can go home like a little bit earlier. That is like a consistent piece of the culture that has really inspired me. I really do feel like I could text any of the residents if I ever had a question about something and I could ask them point blank if I had any doubts about anything and they'd be able to answer. Now because of COVID, it's a little harder to get together, but typically we have like town hall meetings and those are usually, I would say, once a season. We're trying to do them once a month. We usually get together. We would like go to a bar or some kind of like outdoor like fun place and we would just talk about like how the year is going and if anyone had like any problems they would bring them up there and the chiefs would be really good about relaying our concerns to the administration and so we have check-ins and then we like would you know go out and do all the social stuff too. And you mentioned a little bit about how residents tend to live around the south loop. For anyone who isn't familiar with Chicago maybe you can put that into context a bit and also talk about are those, you know, houses, apartments, owning, renting, things like that. The loop is kind of like based on the train. The south part of the loop is just south of downtown. And I would say it's kind of a metropolitan area with a lot of high-rise buildings and primarily a lot of apartments. And so a lot of residents live down here. And it is about a 15-minute drive for me to get down to Chicago. I would say the majority of residents live up here and we have maybe like three or four residents that live down in Hyde Park. Homeowner wise, maybe 20% of the residents own. I would say the vast majority are renting. And what's the breakdown of people being single, married, kids? 
save for maybe five or six of us, the rest of our resident cohort is booed up. I would have to take a look at the roster to exactly see who is married, but I would say the the vast majority of our residents are in like long-term committed relationships. In terms of kids, um, no one currently has kids, but we do have one resident who's pregnant. And so what do you like about living in Chicago? I'm a big food person, so food has been a huge draw to me. I live in South Loop, and so there's um, good food around here. I'm like less than five minutes from Chinatown. So I spend a lot of time there, stuff in my face. I'm super close to the museums, and so I'm a big like art museum person. I love the aquarium. I love like all of that stuff. And I'm also really close to Grant Park. And so I feel like one of the benefits of also South Loop is just the, the sheer convenience of everything. I live across the street from Trader Joe's. That is prime real estate. Like I said, I also have an interest in art, so I feel like just living in a a metropolitan area gives you access to just a lot of culture. Like I said, the art museums, but also my apartment is my studio. I do painting here. I kind of have like a side hustle. I do commissions. And so it's getting to do the things that I want to do and the things that I love that is a very special part of being here in Chicago. Any final thoughts either about your program or about the process of selecting a residency? Oh, the process of selecting residents. It's a painful process. I know exactly what you're going through. First of all, the process of going through sub-eyes is this immense, like, sociological experiment because you're in a city that you probably never lived in before and you feel like you're just under a microscope all the time and you're trying to be natural, but then you're also not natural at all and you're trying to be friends with everyone and you're sleeping in someone's walk-in closet. It's very stressful. I think one piece of advice that I would have towards people applying is that there is only a certain degree of like how much you can do, right? So I would say most of us in medicine are probably type A people and we have this fixation on being able to control things and trying to do as much as possible to maximize our opportunities and our chances of X, Y, Z. But I would say a lot of the hard work has already been done. Like your application is gonna stand for itself. And so much of what I thought I could physically do as an applicant, now being on the other side, I realize like, I didn't have to worry so much and I didn't have to be on edge. It's kind of reassuring to know that once people see your application and once they kind of get the sense of who you are, that's really all that they want. On a micro level, you don't need to worry so much about like the tiny interactions or the little gestures because people are kind of going off of what they feel. And once they get that feeling, like they know whether you'll be a good fit or not. And so I think I wish I hadn't stressed out so much about those little things. I wish I had just been able to focus more on just enjoying the trail and enjoying all the friends I was making. You also don't have to be friends with everybody. (laughs) You'll probably be people on the interview trail that you will get along with better than others, and that's totally fine. Try not to get too wrapped up on like what other people have done and what you haven't done because everyone has their own special talents. Oh, and then if you have anything that you really think sets you apart. Like I didn't realize how much people would be drawn to like something like my art background. So if there's something that you feel like you're really good at, that is not related to medicine, 
don't be afraid to talk about it and don't be afraid to let that part of you shine. Last question, um, how can interested applicants find out more about your program? They can apply to our virtual sub I, which is accepting applications. They can also follow us on Instagram. If they just even just send us DMs, it's run by the residents so we can answer any questions they have. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Dan. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.